Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Um, but I, I want to speak to you today a little bit from this idea of self-help. Self-help. I've entitled the message self-help. Look at your neighbor and say, you need some help. Look at your second choice and say, you too. Yep, you too. You know, does anybody know how it feels to be homesick? Like you get that feeling in your stomach. Like I just want to be home. Maybe you remembered as a kid. Well, anytime I'm getting ready to go on a trip, I've never been away from my family for this long. In Israel, it was, it was absolutely incredible. Let me show you a picture. This is overlooking Jerusalem. Let me adjust this TV a little bit. This is overlooking Jerusalem. Such uh, a majestic moment. The sunset is, is happening and we're looking and praying over the city. We actually took communion right after this picture. Um, just a special moment. But leading up to Israel was the worst. Because I know I'm going to be away from my family for 10 days. Now, you guys got to know something. I've been married for 13 years. Jackie and I have been together for like 17 plus, And we've done ministry for 16 plus. And so, And we've never been apart for that long. I don't know if that's healthy, but it's the truth. And so I think like the longest we've been apart is five days when she went to a conference, uh, left me home. So I said, well, I'm going to double that. I'm going 10. But it was, it, was ner- it was a little bit nerve-wracking leaving home a couple weeks earlier. My heart started to feel a little bit sick. I'm looking at my kids. And, and then, you know, that devil starts to mess with you. And you start to think, man, what if my plane doesn't, you know, work right? And my, my, my family, right? I struggle too, just, just like you do. But nevertheless, I get on a plane and do what God has called me to do. And so, uh, so it was really tough leading up to the moment. But it wasn't just tough for me. It was tough for my girls. And, and this, was, this was really heart-wrenching. I'm, literally a couple weeks before, they started to cry at night because their daddy was going to be in Israel. And, and here's the sad part. Part of me in that moment, my heart was going out to them, but part of me was excited because I'm like, you've loved me so much. <laughs> so there was a part of me that took a little bit of joy in their sorrow. I don't think that's good parenting, but it is what it is. And, and there was just this, this desire to be close. There, there was a cry in their heart that the thought of not being close to dad was just unbearable. And, 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 and look, look what happened. See, the, the beauty, they say that absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> I don't necessarily think that that's true in all cases. It could be actually detrimental. Um, but one of the things that, um, that I do know is when you're, on, you know, when you're away from your family or you're, you're, you're leaving, you're hoping to get a welcome home. You're hoping to get a greeting uh, when you return. So check out this video. This is the best. Daddy, we have a surprise for you when we go home. You do? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, I can't wait to see it. And we have brownies. Get away. Mommy! Mommy! <laughs> I miss Daddy so much. Oh. <laughs> go get him. Go yes. get him. Oh, oh Daddy. Come on. That is the best. And, and there's such a great joy and excitement because the truth of the matter is this, and I think we can all agree with this, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, is we long to be close to the things and the people that we love. And, and so, so my question to you today is, do you love God? Do you love God? I think many of us, the, the quick answer is, well, yeah, of course I love God. Some of you guys are like, eh, kind of, sort of. And some of you in here, you may be like, nope, don't love them. 
but, but if you say that you love God, let me ask you another question. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Let me ask you this question. Is, does distance from God disturb you? Like when was the last time you felt like that about Jesus? Like maybe the last time you longed to be with the Father. You know, when Jack and I, we were dating, we could not stay off the phone. Like every night, even, even and this is true, mom and dad, I'm, I'm really sorry about this, but Jackie would sneak the phone. And, and she would talk, kids, don't get any ideas. And we would just talk on the phone. Sometimes we'd fall asleep on the phone. We just did not want there to be any distance. We couldn't stand distance. And obviously we, there, there were boundaries set in place and all that good stuff. And so we took advantage of every single moment that we had. When is the last time you felt like that about Jesus? When is the last time you felt like that about the Father? I think sometimes uh, we find these words coming out of our mouth. I love God, but I don't really know the last time I longed for God like that. I, I love God, but come on, Pastor Matt, let's be realistic. My time, I, I mean, I just, I just, I should be spending more time with God. How many of you guys have ever said those words? I should spend more time with God, right? I love God, but there seems to be some distance that I'm okay with. If we're truthfully honest in, in certain areas. And, and, you, and this is the concern for me. Is The concern for me is today is that Jesus, um, that, that, that Jesus has become more of an option than a lover. Let me give you an example. Anybody like uh, chocolate sundaes? Chocolate sundaes, you go and you pick out your, your scoops and they put the whipped cream on. And maybe if you're allergic to nuts, you can't have them. So you... Figure out that whole process. But then they ask you for the cherry. You want a cherry on top? Sometimes you may want one and other times you may not. It's an option. And so sometimes I feel like the Lord is like the cherry imposed, opposed to the entire Sunday. That Jesus has been reduced to a task over a friend. And, and this is heartbreaking and, and it's really concerning. But I had this revelation when I got home from Israel. I was preparing for this message and I was trying to figure out, okay... Lord, how am I going to piece this together? And I, 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 I came to this, oh, man. It was just one of those moments where you get a little bit afraid, but you're so grateful that you kind of discovered it. But you're like, oh, man, this probably isn't, like, the most healthy. And it's, it's, not, it's not a big thing. You guys are like, what is it? What's going on? But, but I noticed that my conversation with Jackie, here I'm in another country, I'm 10 hours ahead in the future, leading the way, and, and I noticed that our conversations were just a lot shorter than normal. All right, so, so we talked every single day, multiple times a day. Um, thank God for Facebook and technology, and we're able to see each other's faces. I'm able to see my kids. It's great. But this is what was interesting. We kind of just got to the point for most of our conversations. It was like, hey, babe, I love you. Yeah, I love you too. Hey, you good? Yeah, I'm good. Everything all right? Yeah. Maybe a little small talk. And then it was like, okay, I got a huge schedule. I got to go. Or it was, hey, I got the kids. I got to go. And even at night, it may have even looked like this. Oh, man, I'm just I'm exhausted because our, our mornings are opposite and night times are different and and I thought, you know, beforehand, we would have lingered a little bit longer. And I thought, oh, 
And I went to Jack and I said, man, I had this thought. I wonder if now, because our lives look different, we have a lot more demands on our life. We have three kiddos. Um, we're pastoring a church. Uh, we have a lot more responsibilities. And, and I had this thought and it scared me. And, and the thought was, I think if we're not careful, our demands with the demands that are on our life, the demands, with the demands, we will start to justify distance. Because that's what it was. I got a schedule. Or I got the kids. I got. And it was kind of one of those moments where I said, hey, babe, I don't, I don't think that that's, like, we need to lean into this. Because I do not want there to be any distance. Because we have more demands. And so let me, I put together a little diagram for you just because it kind of helps us process. Something happens when the demands in our life cause us to justify distance, there ends up being a disconnect. And after the disconnect in relationships comes disaster. You track with, but it starts very small. The Bible says that it's the small foxes that spoil the vine. And I'm madly in love with my wife. I know that Jackie is madly in love with me. Um, but I thought, wow, man, we just did it. We just don't linger like we used to. So we need to lean into that because I want to make sure that we're not allowing the demands to cause us to justify the distance. Because this is what happens, and I think this is true in, in regards to a lot of relationships today. And, and I want you to lean in with me. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Is I think what ends up happening then is responsibilities start to take priority over relationships. Responsibilities start to take priority over relationships, point in case. When, when, when God created all things, he created Adam and Eve and he gave them dominion. He gave them responsibility to steward creation. But creation was never created to steward man. That, that's, that, that's a backwards concept. Man was always there to steward creation, to have dominion, to rule, and to reign. But, but I'm wondering today, with all the responsibilities that we have, where we live in, in, a, in a culture where everything is on all the time, and, and you look back, and, and there was this idea that, yeah, God uh, gave Adam and Eve the ability to work, and, and sometimes work isn't always fun and easy, but it, but it was the sense of we can work as unto the Lord. We can work and in our work give God glory. Like we can still, um, there's still something about our work that's connected to our relationship with God. And, and also, you know, we have work and responsibilities here in our day that we can do the same. That we can work as unto the Lord. But then we also get the beauty and the joy of providing for our family and enjoying creation. Enjoying the relationships that God has put in our life. Marriages, friendship, family. All of that is so good. But I feel like today it might be reversing a little bit. That rather than using our responsibilities to serve our relationships, now all of a sudden we're using um, our, our time, effort, and energy, it's kind of flip-flop where we're using our relationships to serve our responsibilities. It's almost like we used to work to enjoy uh, friendship, family, and marriage, but now it's like we work to work more. We, 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 we're on this pursuit. It's never enough. There's always something that's pulling on us. The demands are continuously 
continuing to increase. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, hey, quit your job uh, and just invest in your relationships. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying this. I'm saying even if you work two jobs, it's expensive here. I get the demands. Trust me. I get the demands. But when you are home, are you still at work? Like, like when you are home, are you actually engaging in relationship? Because I think what, what ends up happening is the demands start to justify the distance and we say things like this, I've been working all day and we turn on the TV. And the demands start to justify the distance because we believe we deserve a break. But we've yet to like engage our family. We may only have two hours in the evening because we have to wake up and do it all over again. How are we stewarding that time? And are we investing in our relationships? You may say, well, I'm single. Okay, well, you have a little bit more luxury there, but how is your relationship with God? How is your relationship with family? Do you have Christ-centered friendships that you're investing in? If, if you're married, are you investing in your marriage? If you have a family, are you investing in both your marriage and in your kids? How does that look? Or have the demands and the responsibilities started to justify the distance? And, 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 and you start to pursue um, a lot of things that may not be bad things, but that are keeping you from the best things. And so, so I, I think a lot of times what ends up happening is it doesn't start, when there's a disconnect in our relationships, I think many times it starts in the disconnect, uh, the disconnect starts not in our relationships horizontally, but it starts in our relationship vertically. In other words, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. That closeness to God will affect how we prioritize others. I think many times we're not prioritizing others because there's a distance between us and God. And there's something happens when you spend time with God and you allow God to, to, to speak into every area of your life. When you invite his word to counsel you, to correct you, to encourage you, to build you. God has a way of pointing things out that we need to adjust to make one another a priority. Because last time I checked, God says, listen, life is best lived when we're living in relationship with him and when we're living in relationship with others. Like the two things that are going to last for all eternity are him and others. Are you guys tracking with that? And it's almost like scripture is really clear that, man, that's in, those are areas that you want to invest your life. There's not going to be a U-Haul on your way to the kingdom. It's going to be people and it's going to be God. And that's where we need to choose to invest our life. And when there's distance between us and God, I, I, I am a huge proponent to believe that there's probably going to be a disconnect in our other relationships. Many times we want to start with our relationships with people, but I think we need to pause, lay a foundation, and let's ask ourselves, is there any distance between us and God? And I think James is going to help us with that. James chapter 4, we're going to dive right in. James says, listen, he says, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It sounds kind of harsh. Let me give you the context of James really briefly. James is the half-brother of Jesus. James did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God until after the resurrection. And so James knows how it feels to be like the Messiah, mm. He knows how it feels to be a little bit double-minded. Like if your brother told you, hey, I'm the savior of the world, would you believe him? But then I'm sure things start to add up because, you know, Jesus lived a sinless life. 
So James was like, ah, oh, it was perfect. But after the resurrection, there was deep conviction. It was like, man, this is, this is real. And so James is speaking from a place of, listen, I know how to be on the, I know how it feels to be on the fence. I know how it feels to be a little bit double-minded. But let me just tell you guys, this is, this is real. And you need to lean into this. And he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James is simply saying, guys, deal with the distance. And a lot of times when there's distance between us and God, the culprit normally tends to be sin. And a lot of times it's, it may not even be this big grotesque sin. It just may mean that you've taken a good thing and you've made it an ultimate thing. And now your priorities are mixed up and there's distance between you and God because you've made other things an idol that they never should have been. And so he's saying, hey, listen, check your hands, man. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. Then he says, you double-minded. Now, this word double-minded, this is the only time that it's found in the New Testament. And it means to be dual-souled. James is saying there, there's a breakdown in integrity from what you're saying to what you're living. Like there's some hypocrisy going on. Like, like you may have this concept of closeness with God. You may have this idea of I love God. But then your life is not reflecting those words. And so, so I think he gives us, a, he's going to help us dive a little bit deeper into understanding. Because I, I think the question is, well, what do I need to wash my hands from? What, what, what's really at, at the root of this deal? And so James is going to unpack this for us. And in verse 4, he says it like this. He says, you adulteresses. Like, come on. Like I said, happy Sunday to you. You adulteresses, James says. Like, you got to understand, when you're preparing for a message like this as a pastor, you're like, oh, man, Lord, like, you got to put this in that. You adulteresses. But James is, is speaking from a place of love. He gets it. This is real life we're dealing with. And he says, you adulteresses. And notice he, he is speaking in a metaphor, of course, because he's also addressing men. And many times God addresses us in Scripture. Uh, he uses metaphors to describe our relationship with him. He uses metaphor like sheep and shepherd. But probably the most intimate metaphor is this idea of, of we as the church are his bride. So this idea of bride and groom. And, and we see a great picture of this in, bless you, we see this a great picture of this in the book of Hosea. Now, in the book of Hosea, it's, man, you should go and read that. If you've never walked through that book, just go and read that. But we see this man he marries this woman by the name of Gomer. Don't recommend that for your next daughter's name, but Gomer. And he's, he's head over heels for this woman. Long story short, she cheats on him. Not just once, but this woman is going from house to house, from man to man. I mean, just, and he is beside himself, and he's doing whatever he can. He's dragging her out of homes. He's spending his money, whatever he can, to get her back. And the Lord was saying, hey, this is a great picture of what it's like with my bride at times. Is that I am in love with the bride who is not in love with me. I mean, just, just let the, the intimacy of, of, of those words sink in. That I am in love with the bride who is not in love with me. And so he says, do you not know that friendship with the world then is hostility towards God? Now, I know none of us woke up and Thought this morning, I'm going to be hostile towards God. Can't wait. It's going to be a great day. But when he's talking about the world here, he's talking about the world system. He's talking about the spirit of this age. 
that, that says, listen, that says what you really need for life and godliness is to not have God. That everything is a priority except for God. That you can live your way, you can become your own little G God, figure it out. Just don't, just keep God out of the equation. That's the world system. Right, the world system says you can help yourself, self-help. It's the world's ways. And he said, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? What do you, ta- what do you mean, James? Well, this word friendship that he uses is, it's not like an acquaintance. It's intimate language. It, it, it has this notion of, of being close to. It's, it's the word phileo. And, and when, you, when, you think about, when you think about love uh, in the scripture, agape is like this, this unconditional love of God. But this friendship kind of a love, this phileo love is the same type of love that Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you are no longer my servants, but you are my friends. It's intimate. There's affection involved. So much so, um, I thought Jackie wrote this, but I found out she didn't. In the Song of Solomon, um, it says that his mouth is most sweet and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved and this is my friend. And so, so the bride is speaking of her groom. And she's speaking in intimate language. He is my lover and he is my friend. There's there's deep intimacy. There's affection that's happening here. And what James is saying is this, is that if you knew the love of God and the friend that we have in Christ, you would not want to dance with another. You you wouldn't even want to, 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 to gaze upon another. Because of the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. It's almost as if James is saying, hey, either you have lost sight of or you've never discovered the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. But here's the scary part. Is it happens subtly, doesn't it? It happens so subtly. I mean, James is addressing people in the church. Like he's talking to church people. He's talking to people who are serving on the dream team. He's talking to people who are in small groups. Come every single Sunday. He's talking to people that have a lot of church activity happening, but there's no intimacy. Like they're connected to the church. They're a part of the church. They, you know, probably sing, you know, halfway decent. They're lifting up their hands. They have this idea or this concept of being close to God, but there is no intimacy. And it's subtle because it's the demands of life, Right? Pastor Matt, I, I got a family, I got kids, I got, it's just, it's hard out here and to, to prioritize God, it just seems tough. And it could be the, our, our pursuits that we long, we're, we're trying to tackle the next hill. But in all of the demands, in all of the responsibilities, and in this case, even in the religious routine, all of a sudden, somehow, those demands, those responsibilities, those routines justify distance. And so there's a concept of intimacy with God, but there is no intimacy. How many of you guys know that when I speak about intimacy, that relationships were designed for intimacy? Like friendships were designed to be close. A marriage was designed. Marriage is the only construct where physical intimacy, physical intimacy should, should take place. 
within the covenant of marriage because uh, covenant, there's not supposed to be intimacy without covenant. And in covenant, there should always be intimacy. But, But let me just take marriage for an example. Intimacy is so important in a marriage, both emotionally, physically. It's super important. I deal with this all the time. Can I tell you that when physical intimacy is not healthy in a marriage, it's talked about about 90% of the time. Because somebody is dying in the relationship. Somebody feels rejected. Somebody feels, you know, betrayed. Like, I married you. I thought we were going to be able to, and now you never want to. What? You deceived me. And, and so, so we see this happening. But when... When physical intimacy is healthy in a marriage, it's talked about maybe 10% of the time. It's not even really an issue. It's not, it's, it's not an issue. Intimacy is so important. Relationships, they were designed for intimacy. And I started to think, you know, I, a lot of times what keeps us from intimacy, let's just say in a marriage, a lot of times we blame it on the demands, don't we? Man, a long day. Tired demands justifies distance. And I'm not just talking about physical intimacy. I'm talking about just conversation. Like just just having conversation. I mean, think about this. When we're on vacation, even the demands of vacation, like vacations are designed for us to, to grow closer to one another, to relax, to enjoy. But how many guys know we are slaves to the schedule. And, and listen, this, this is how it looks. Okay, we got, we got this, we got this. Let's get up in the morning. Let's go, go, go. And then we're, we stop and we spend like half the time trying to take the best selfie, right? We want everybody to see the water so pretty. And look at this view where I'm at. And then we take another hour to try to post it and say the right thing. Like literally on my trip in Israel, I wanted to take pictures of everything. I wanted to capture my journey. I wanted to capture my trip. And it was amazing to me because there was moments on the bus I just had to stop. Like put the phone down, bro. Put it down. Put it aside. Look out the window. It's the Judean wilderness. That's pretty amazing. Like soak it in for a moment. And so we're kind of slaves to these demands. Let me ask you this. On your last vacation, did you stop and ask your kids, hey, how's your heart doing? How's daddy doing? Did you take a moment with your wife and just say, hey, man, how how am I doing as a husband? Maybe as a wife, hey, honey, do you feel loved? Who has time for that stuff on vacation, right? And we just go and we go and we go and the demands begin to justify. I don't have time to talk. I don't have time to work on a marriage because I'm exhausted. You chose to get married. And it demands an investment. Right? Uh, with, 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 with intimacy, with physical intimacy, people, this is what blows my mind. People that are struggling with physical intimacy in a marriage, you know what I do? I put them on a schedule. Yeah. Like a Monday, Wednesday. And you may be thinking, like, that is crazy. Like, why in the world would you do that? Can I tell you it works? It works because it allows people to prepare emotionally. It allows, you know, maybe one of them to kind of prepare for that day mentally. All of a sudden, we start to plan in such a way for intimacy. 
But for many people, that just seems so foreign. Like, that's very, you know, that's too rigid. Well, what's the other option? <laughs> you don't have none? And then all of a sudden, that rigid discipline starts to turn into a delight because they start to see results. Closeness starts to happen again. And all of a sudden, now it just becomes the rhythm and it's no longer a schedule. But it blows my mind that we prioritize and we plan everything else except our relationships. We don't plan time to sit down and actually cultivate and develop intimacy. And I'm guilty of the same thing. And Jackie and I, we're looking at our whole deal saying, hey, we're going to map this stuff in. Not make it, you know, super stringent or anything like that. But we're going to have a plan for intimacy in our marriage and in our relationship with our kids. It's important, ladies and gentlemen. We, gotta, we, we have to take this stuff seriously. If you're single and you're on vacation, man, when's the last time that you just soaked in with the Lord and just said, God, what does is, what is the next season look like for me? God, am I leaning into what you have for me in this season? Because Paul said I can be about kingdom business while I'm single because I don't have to worry about all these other relationships. Are we leaning into those moments or are demands justifying our distance and therefore there's a disconnect and we wonder why things start to deconstruct. We wonder why things start um, or end up disastrous. It's because we need to plan for this stuff. There was a, a, a couple. They were married 40 years. 40 years. And they were at a gas station, true story. They were on vacation. The wife goes in. She's going to grab some snacks. He's pumping gas. So he gets in the car, takes off. <laughs> 17 miles late, later, he realizes she's not in the back seat. Like 17 miles, bro. Like, can you hear her breathing or something? I thought, and this was his, this was, this was his, his justification. He said, well, she's always in the back seat. I just assumed that she was there. I think intimacy assumed is a dangerous place. Intimacy assumed is a dangerous place. I think we need to start asking questions in our relationships, in our friendships, in our marriages, in relationship with our family. Don't get it twisted. So, so James goes on to say, let me, let me just kind of land the plane and help you really figure out what's at the root of all this stuff. So he goes on in verse 1. He says, what is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that are at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. What a disconnect. Distance. How many of us are just fighting so many wars that if we would just take time and say, let me wash my hands. Let me deal with some junk. Let me just invite you in, Lord. Let me just deal with this distance. Like, I'm fighting all these battles. Why? Because I don't even have time to ask for it. Deal with the distance. But then he goes on to say, and even when... You do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. And I think this is the crux of all of it. Is you want only what will give you pleasure. And so James is basically saying this. Hey, listen, whether you've never seen the beauty of Jesus or you've lost sight of the beauty of Jesus, nevertheless, it's no longer about Jesus. It is now about you. It's about you. And I think selfishness is a huge culprit of the disconnects today. 
we are so concerned with our pleasure. And, and we can church that up to look so normative. Like, well, I'm not doing anything, you know, super bad. Yeah, but you're, 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 you're watching Netflix for 10 hours a week and your kid is struggling. Like, that's because it's about your pleasure, not about what's important. Am I going in too hard today? You guys with me still? All right. All right. <clears throat> but I, 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 want, I, want to, I want our relationships to thrive. Like, I really want them to, to come alive. I want, if there's some dead areas. Listen, if, if you're in a place right now where you're like, oh, my, I'm failing miserably. Man, so good. God is a God of redemption. God is able to, to restore what the enemy has stolen. You're able to make a change today. It's not too late. See, when my kids are grown, it's still not too late. My marriage is just long. It's still not too late. Just, just lean in and let God do some heart surgery. But, but, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. He says it's, it's, it's no longer about God. It's about you. And, and there's some distance. And if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. And that's this, is that distance from God is an indicator of consumption of self. Distance from God is an indicator of consumption for self. And this is detrimental, guys. Because when we're consumed with ourself, we can't love others the way that we're supposed to. We can't truly love others the way we're supposed to. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, look what Paul says about love. He says, love, it does not dishonor others. And love is what? Not self-seeking. It's not self-seeking. But here, here's, the, here's the, the problem is I think many times in our relationships, and again, this could be any relationship. It could be family. It could be friends. It could be marriage. But I think in our relationships many times we think we have a love problem, but in reality it's a distance problem. Because... If it, when we're close to God, God's going to help us prioritize the relationships in a healthy way. Are you tracking with me on that? God's going to help us filter and prioritize in such a healthy way. All of a sudden, we're going to realize and God's going to expose the self-seeking areas of our heart in our relationship. And therefore, we're going to be able to love and serve people the way that God has called us to. And I'm not saying that if you're not a Christian, you, you can't, you know give, you know, serve somebody well or love them. I'm not saying that at all, but what I am saying in many cases, there is still going to be this bent apart from God towards selfishness. It's just, it's, it's human nature. It's sinful nature that all of us have to, to wrestle with and struggle with. Are you tracking with me on that? And this is the lie. The lie is that that pleasure, that self-seeking pleasure is going to work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. To such a degree that selfishness eventually it self-destructs. And if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. It doesn't work. Why? Because selfishness never satisfies. It just never satisfies. Now, let, me, let me speak to you now from outside of Christendom. Because the world is also recognizing that selfishness doesn't work. Uh, Joe Capio from University of Chicago did an intensive 10-year research study on people that are narcissistic, consumed with themselves, selfish, self-centered. And what he discovered was this. He put all of them on a self-focused chart. Or, I'm sorry, uh, he called it like a um, chronic self-focused chart. How many of you guys know you don't want to be on that chart? And he studied for 12 years, and this is what he discovered about selfishness. He said, the more selfish you are, the more lonely you become. And then, then he discovered this. 
The more lonely you become, the more selfish you are. Because you're trying to get rid of it. And so he says you're, you're on this downward spiral of loneliness and selfishness. Loneliness and selfishness. Loneliness and selfishness. The world is saying, hey, we're recognizing that maybe pursuing everything for you isn't that good. You think? It's not the way God has designed it. Uh, what about, uh, there was a, a man by the name of Adam Gluzinski from uh, the University of Columbia. And he did a study that had to do with insecurity and self-centeredness. And he said the people who are selfish and self-centered are the most insecure people. Because they're always so aware and consumed of themselves. They're always trying to measure up in every environment. And they can't. And so it's just this vicious cycle of insecurity and selfishness. Insecurity and selfishness. How many of you guys know, I don't want to be on that wheel. That sounds horrible, right? This is probably my favorite. There's a book uh, that was written by a man by the name of Dana Sh uh, Shapiro. And it's called, you, you Can Be Right or You Can Be Married. And he's not safe. Some of you guys are like, huh? Uh, this guy is he's not a Christian, uh, he, and he's not married. He's into his late 40s now. He lives in New York City. And he, he kind of tripped out because a lot of his friends in, in their late 20s were getting married. And he found out about a decade later, about 10 years later, the majority of them were divorced. And so he went on the study to figure out, man, what, what, he was asking questions. What in the world? Why? And so it was a series of interviews. And one of the, the leading things that rose to the top was, guess what? Selfishness. Like one of the guys quoted, he quoted this. He said, look, I'll be perfectly honest. I was flat out the world's worst husband. I was inconsiderate, selfish. I was utterly self-absorbed. And it's like, man, too bad you couldn't have got that on the front end. Look what this lady said. She had an affair with somebody at the gym. She said, I was weak, self-indulgent, disrespectful, and impulsive. We wound up having an affair. That was the beginning of the end of my marriage. And it's just this idea of, of self-consumption. Impulse, I need my pleasure. And James is like, man, all these battles that are happening internally, that are happening externally, a big portion of what's happening is because there's distance. There's distance between you and God, and our selfishness gets in the way. And guys, can I just tell you, man, this is true. This is real. I know it's real because of I know me. Like, I'm your pastor, but I, I'm married. I have kids. And I wish I could stand up here and just say, like, yeah, I've overcome this, but I, I haven't. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly waging war against this because I love to go. But I have to understand that, man, I, there's, there's so much more at stake. I remember Jackie came up to me one time. And see, I, I can church it up really good because I'm doing the Lord's work. <laughs> like, how are you going to argue with that? I'm busy about my father's business. <laughs> right? But, but here, here's, here's the deal. I remember Jackie came up to me one time and she says, hey, babe, man, you are like the best discipler on the planet. But you're not discipling me. I thought, man, I'm working so hard. And guess what? I mean, cool thing about ministry, there's job security, right? <laughs> like it's, it never ends. People always have issues. They're always struggling with this. Like as long as sin abounds, 
grace abounds and counseling is, is needed, right? But it's never enough. And I sat with an older pastor this last week. Oh, this touches me. He said, listen, man, when you're done with your church, they're going to give you a chicken dinner and a Camry and somebody's going to take your spot. He said, you'll leave a great legacy. But no one's going to think twice, man. You're disposable. But your kids, your wife, it's a whole different ballgame. I just thought, man, what a great picture. <laughs> if you guys give me a chicken dinner and a camera, I'm going to be so mad. <laughs> so mad. But here's the deal. I'm still in the fight with you. But I do know the antidote. And I want to share that with you today. Because the answer is this. The answer isn't just like, okay, I'm going to try really, really hard to be humble now. I'm sorry, I'm so self-seeking, I'm sorry, I'm so, right? I'm going to try really, really hard not to be selfish. You know, the whole time you're doing all that, you're still focused on you. <laughs> you're looking at yourself in the mirror. I'm not going to be self-focused, I'm not going to be self-focused. You're still focused on you. So what's the antidote? It's very simple. If you're taking notes, jot this down. That Christ-centeredness is the antidote for self-centeredness. Is that Christ has to come back to the center of everything of our lives. Because when he's at the center, we will start to prioritize others in a proper manner. Now you might be saying, well, the Lord tells me that I should love myself. Absolutely, he does. But he also tells you a few other things that I'm gonna reveal to you in just a moment that I think is gonna really help us to get a proper perspective of self. And, and James, James goes in, he says, listen, don't, you don't beat yourself over the back. Don't just say, I'm not going to be selfish. Don't just try really, really hard not to be a selfish person. James says, you want to know the answer? The answer is this. James says, submit yourselves unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You want to know what not being self-centered really looks like? It's not, it doesn't look like this. It's not about getting over yourself. It's about coming under Christ. It's about submitting. It's about when God says, hey, listen, this is how I design relationships to work. You say, okay. Hey, this is what I want you to do. This is how you need to be thinking about your parenting. Well, God, I don't agree with you, but I'm coming up under. I'm submitting. That's where life is found. It's in surrender. It's in Submission. A lot of times we spend our time trying to resist the devil without submitting our lives to God. If you submit your lives to God, you will be able to resist the devil. But we can't get it twisted. We can't get it twisted. Submit yourselves then to God. This is real humility. Real humility isn't saying, I'm sorry, man, I'm sorry, babe. I'm sorry, sorry man, I'm so sorry, man, I'm so sorry. That's not real humility. That's a good apology. But change comes when submission comes. God hasn't called you to get over yourself. He's called you to come up under him, come up under his word, and let him lead and direct you. Let, let me show you how, the, how this happens. Because you might say, well, why do I even want to be motivated to do that? How do I do this, Pastor Man? That preach is great, but how do I do this? I think Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 has become probably my favorite passage in the Bible. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. I don't even know if that's legal to say that, but I feel like it encompasses everything. Paul says it like this. He says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. For this 
is your reasonable act of worship. The truth of the matter is, though, it's only reasonable in light of his mercy. I was in Israel, and we went to the place of the skull, Calvary, Golgotha, the traditional spot where they believe that Jesus was crucified. Now, um, you can see the two eyes and the mouth. The nose, because of the rain, got distorted, so you can't really see the skull's nose anymore. But I remember the lady, it was so cool, she's sitting there, and, and every group that comes in, it's free. And this sweet lady just preaches the gospel to every group. It's, it's beautiful. And she says, hey, listen, a lot of times people think that he was crucified up here, but it would have been much lower down here, still on the hillside, so that everybody that's passing by would be able to see the public display of humiliation. And when you think about God, in all of his mercy, giving of himself so you could be freed from yourself, that will humble you in such a glorious way. Not a way that's like, oh gosh. No, it becomes very reasonable when this becomes a reality. And so this is what I encourage you to do. Look at the cross. Look at this reality until it moves you. Think about it. Meditate on the reality that God's stepping out of heaven, depleting himself, the utter humiliation of the God of all creation, giving of himself so that you can be delivered and free from yourself. See, Jesus did not die on the cross simply for your selfishness. He died to deliver you from yourself. Prove it to you. Look what he says, last passage. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. See, when he says that you are to love your neighbor as yourself, you're only able to love yourself when you stop living for yourself. Because when you're living for Christ and not for yourself, that is loving you. But when you're living for you, trying to soak up all the pleasures and all this stuff, It doesn't work. I can give you all the self-help tips. I give you all the practical things on communication. But if this doesn't penetrate your heart, let me, let me say this. If this does penetrate your heart, it will speed up the process so quickly. Because heart transformation goes a whole lot further than behavior modification. What would life look like if you were Christ-centered and not self-centered?